Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Kids come in sometimes to meet with you, and they're like, well, my dad was out with his paramour. And I'm like, okay, you're eight. You're eight. Like, there's no fucking way you know what the word paramour. Who, someone said that to I you. I don't know what the word paramour. What is a paramour? It means a person who you're having an affair with. You're listening to Divorce Party. I'm Monica Casey here with Tom Arnold. Our guest today is an amazing divorce lawyer from New York. He's written a book called, If You're in My Office, It's Already Too Late, A Divorce Lawyer's Guide to Staying Together. We can't wait to pick his brain. Please welcome to the show, James Sexton. Okay, well, yeah. Tom should be jumping on any second. Right. He um, right. he's always a little delayed in the technology. Sure, they like they like to make an entrance, <laughs> I guess. You know, these um, divas. Right, the total actor divas. That's um, it. Oh my gosh! Well, I'm gonna. I want to ask you while we're waiting for him. How mm-hmm. many books have you written? Well, technically two, but okay. but the the second one is basically the first one reprinted with some changes to it. So, but it has a different title. So, technically I have two books. I have if you're in my office it's already too late, a divorce lawyer's guide to staying together, and then I have how to stay in love, practical wisdom from an unlikely source. And so, you know, they're they're one of them is very popular on Audible, and that's if you're in my office, it's already too late, which is the, the the eight and a half hours of me reading that book. And then How to Stay in Love, you can still get, you know, all over Amazon or any bookstore. I love that title 
so much because I think that, that was book. one of the first questioned questions I asked my lawyer mm -hmm. when I first went mm -hmm. to her office to sort of have the talk. Yeah, yeah. And I said, how many people usually come back and how yeah. long after they meet with you? And her answer was about six months and that about half of them come yeah. back. What do you think yours is? You know, I'm sort of at a point now where I take on, like, you don't usually need me unless you need you know, like, unless you need, if you have a complicated divorce, I'm the guy. I, I'm not the guy anymore. If like you have like, you know, two W2 wage earners, a house and a 401k, like I'm not the guy for that. I could do it, but I could do it in my sleep. I, I'm more like complex litigation with a narcissist or like, you know, difficult financial litigation with like a diversity of assets that's complicated. So that's kind of self-selecting group because at that point, it's like, this is no longer, you know, I'm not sure if I want to get divorced or not. It's like, oh, no, they're coming. Like the enemy is advancing and I need, you know, I need a cannon. Like you know? if someone's so, gotten your number, it's because someone has yeah. told them, oh, no, 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 this is who. Yeah, this is the guy. I'm actually a lot of people's second or third lawyer, but I'm very proud to say I'm almost always their last one. Like, so a lot of people come in and they're like, yeah, I thought I needed a scalpel, but it turns out I need a chainsaw, you know, or they come right. in and say like, I thought I needed a, uh, you know, like a knife and I needed a, a nuclear missile, you know, and that's what I, you know, I, I come in with, but I also like, I have a very full toolkit, like my, you know, the, the, I was once described and it was meant as a compliment because only in this line of work. Is, is like, hey, I heard you're a ruthless son of a bitch. And they mean it's a compliment. Like that would, no other world is that a compliment. Yeah. But when people say, I mean, in this profession it is, and, and someone once described me as the sociopath you want on your side. And I remember thinking like, oh, I kind of really like that because yeah. it, it really was like that, that there are some cases where I'm very conciliatory and very friendly and very charming and very like, you know, I'm really lulling someone into complacency before I put the knife in their back. Um, or like there's cases where I just come in like a wild man. And, and what's interesting is some of my adversaries who I have a lot of cases with, they, they have said sort of behind closed doors because their staff sometimes filter me information. And they'll say like, yeah, the thing about Sexton is like, you never know what you're going to get. Like sometimes you're like, oh, he's going to come in like a, just a, so aggressive and I come in so conciliatory. And then sometimes like you think I'm going to be so conciliatory and I come in crazy, you know, and it, I like yeah. to keep people guessing because I think it, it, it makes me more effective, you know, as an advocate. So, and divorce is like that, you know, it's just, it, it is sometimes the, the best way to shake it up, you know, is like, if you're the big guy at the bar, you don't get in a lot of fights. You know, yeah. because I love trying cases and because I love trying cases, I don't end up having to try a lot of cases Yes, because well, other lawyers who bluster about Kate, like, oh, we're going to go to trial. Like, I think they look at me and they know that, like, you can't scare a prostitute with a dick. Like, you're not going <laughs> to like you're going to go to trial. OK, cool. Like, I'm yeah. way more comfortable in a courtroom than I am in my living room. So like, let's I'm do that. I'm tired of being in the office. Let's go. Yeah, like, I hate all this negotiating. Like, I won't do litigation by fax. Like, I'm not litigating by email. You know what your client did? You know what your client? You know what? If it's bad enough, make a fucking motion. And if it's not, stop cluttering up my inbox. Like, either throw yeah. hands or don't. And are we and that's going kind to of, dinners? You know, are we going to lunches with other 
people's lawyers to get the job done? Just like, let's sit in a room and you do know, it? Or? We, we, I don't believe in like the merits of the room. You know, like I don't do four ways. Like lawyers love like the, you know, like, well, let's all get in the room. And I'm like, yeah, I don't think that that's helpful. I mean, sometimes psychologically, it's helpful for me to be able to talk directly to the other person mm -hmm. in the presence of their lawyer. It's like a way to sort of thug the other person. But most of the time, I don't, I don't do that. I'm friendly with my colleagues. I mean, I don't, I don't break, like, I don't break bread with them. Like, I don't go out to dinner with them. I'm not, I'm not friends with any of them, but I'm friendly with all of them. And I think that's helpful. I, I you know, I'm, yeah. I'm generally an agreeable person. And I think that divorce lawyers, like, but, you know, I also like my, I've been a martial artist since I was seven. Like most of my best friends have punched me in the face. You know, most of my closest friends tried to choke me or break my arm within the last two weeks because we were doing Brazilian sure. Jiu-Jitsu. So I'm used to, like, I don't have to hate you to come at you. And mm -hmm. I don't feel attacked if you come at me. I'm I'm used to fighting. Like, there's what yeah. we do. So Well, and I, I love don't... doing my research on you. And I love, I love martial arts too. So I love yeah. you have this discipline. Um, I feel like the people that represent us, or maybe even like doctors, people that do surgery on us, I mm -hmm. like to know what their sort of daily routine is. You yeah. know, and I feel like yeah. especially with a divorce lawyer, you want yeah. someone that's really clear and really good yeah. on strategy. Um, yeah. Can you kind of elaborate on how you feel like it helps you, you know, how martial mm -hmm. arts helps you with mm -hmm. your career? Yeah, I think it's, it's all about, you know, martial arts is very much about discipline. And 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 discipline is, to paraphrase Jocko Willenick, you know, it's it's trading what you want now for what you want most. Yeah. And I think, you know, when you look at someone's like, like my office, you could always like you could perform surgery in my office without fear of infection, because it's always OCD level clean. Love it. And I think an organized desk is a sign of an organized mind. Like I'm incredibly busy. I have a lot to do, but there's no outward sign of the chaos of that because it's it's all sort of organized. And that's, you know, in martial arts, I think one of the first things you learn and in boxing or any combat sport is getting hit, like how to get hit and not have that just knock you completely off balance because the shock of getting hit is actually the thing that like undoes people a lot of the time. I'm you know, sure on this... the stand as well. <laughs> yeah. And so you you really do like one of the first things, particularly in like an art like Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, where you're like being held down and someone's trying to like choke you or break a bone. Your, your, your first thing is learning how to like, don't panic. Like don't let your respiration and your heartbeat start speeding up that you become inefficient in the way that you're moving and that you're struggling and panicking and wasting energy that that you could actually eventually use to escape from the situation you're in. And that's a lot of what my job is, is to just be very dispassionate and to be very clinical and precise and to just strategize. It's really, there's a saying in, um, I think it's the Book of, of Five Rings by uh, Moyamudu Mishashi, who was a, a feudal uh, samurai swordsman, that he said um, that that act that strategy without action is useless, mm. but action without strategy is the noise before defeat. And I think that that's a lot of what divorce practice is for a lot of lawyers. Is is it's just a lot of noise that doesn't have any strategy behind it, 
And so I'm very um, clinical in the way that I approach it. And that's, that's that sort of sociopath part, because if I'm, if I seem angry, it's, it's because that works in this strategy in the moment. Like mm-hmm. that's going to be, it's not that I'm actually angry. I'm never actually angry. Like I don't, yeah. none of this really blips on my radar at all. And yeah. if I seem very sincere about the client and about the, it's not that I actually, like, I have no idea what's going on. And the, if the other person had come to my office 10 minutes before, I'd be arguing the total opposite of what I'm saying yeah. now. But, but I think that's well, there's the no job excuse for being to do it well. Late, and I do I, feel as you late. Know. Look at the Hollywood diva Hollywood showing up. Hollywood diva coming in late. Oh, he's like the bride at the wedding. I was just about to bash our own kind because I was going to say being a trial lawyer is also a lot like being an actor. You're putting on a performance. It's true. It's true. <laughs> it's really nice to meet you, Tom. I'm, I'm a fan. I'm a big fan of yours. My manager, uh, Eric Kritzer, who's had a rough road too with uh marriage and stuff he goes you got to see this guy man it's our like great That's he sent great. us your video i just watched the comedy central roast of your ex-wife oh and God. your absolute kill when you got up there and i was watching it because i was watching jessel because i was like my favorite comic i love watching anything he's on and i and i watched it and, and you you killed and I watched it and I was like, and then I get the message saying, oh, we want to have you on. And I was like, this is amazing. Like, I I, I couldn't be more excited. I'm telling you. I watched the video and, and then I thought about it and I called Monica. I go, listen, this guy, he's a voice that we haven't had. You know, he's a very guy talking, but he represents women and he's given secrets you know, because we've had people that Monica knows, women that get, give their secrets and uh, gay couples and this and that and this and that. But I said, you know, he speaks a language that that uh, men understand. And uh, I want you to consider this. And she was like, oh, I'm all in on that. So I, I appreciate you taking the time, buddy. Uh, I don't know. The perfect divorce, Yeah, uh, you get divorced. And then in 18 years, you do their roast. And then you don't do it again. That's the perfect way to do it. That really is. I think you may be the only one who's pulled that off, but you know, give it some time because you know there there are some uh, some relatively uh, young comics out there that are either married unhappily or getting divorced currently. That if we jump ahead in time, you know, maybe they'll end up there. But you'll have been the trendsetter for sure. You know, Jesselnik for a second. Monica, are you familiar with him? Yes. Oh, yeah. You know, because I've worked with him a lot too. And the way he crafts jokes and takes chances and kind of puts something out there, and then and then he does, like comics will put something out there that seems like oh, you know, uh, this guy is going to uh, make fun of pedophile, whatever it is, and then he he sets it and then he takes it back and he just sits there and takes it. You know, he's very the brilliant- he builds tension yeah. in a way I've never seen, and he. You know, some of the best, I'm, I'm a voracious reader, but I, I have to tell you, like, one of the things a good writer does is they trust the audience. And, like, they, they have confidence that the audience is going to get the inside joke or, like, they, they have to have, like, a tremendous amount of faith in the audience. And, and he is one of those comics that, like, man, does he have confidence in himself and hopefully in the audience. And when it doesn't pay off, I'm sure it, it, there must be when he's working material out, there must be times where it goes down in flames. 
or audiences that don't know what they've ordered when they get him because it's a particular meal. Yes. But man, I, I have seen when he did uh, the fire in the maternity ward uh, special before he did the special, I saw him at like a very small club where he was just working it out. He was just working stuff out. It was Levity Live in, in, in Rockland County, New York, tiny little club. And then I saw it at either Radio City or the Beacon Theater where it was in its final form and it was being filmed for the Netflix special. And it, like the, it, it was just tighter than you could imagine. It was brilliant. It was just brilliant. And it, see, I find for a trial lawyer, studying stand-up and watching good stand-up is, is the absolute best practice because there's something about that ability to kind of move quickly and shift and pivot based on what's happening with the audience and what's connecting, what isn't and timing. And all. that is just so, to me, it's just such an awesome thing to watch. You know, I, I think that uh, you're right. That the best guys, you know, our buddies with Roy Black and he, he seems to be pretty funny guy or a get, he's certainly a fan of comedy and, and Marty Singer uh, I've been uh, with him in, in all my criminal uh, litigation things. <laughs> or he'll tell you, I've been in all four times. So, but I, I can remember one time there was a jury and uh, and Marty was very passionate in front of the jury. And then he turned around and winked at me. <laughs> like, yeah. I, what is yeah. that? He, yeah. Part about the way he plays. Uh, my last story about this, so we're going to, is uh, yeah. a few years ago, there's a guy named Marvin Mitchelson. And uh, he was, he, he coined the term palimony. Uh, which is if you're together yep. or whatever. And so Mar Mitchell was representing Roseanne's uh, first ex-husband. And they they were they had me in there to to deposition me, uh uh just to kind of mess with me, mess with me. And the whole thing it wasn't a video deposition. So I was sitting here, Marty's here, and every time that Marvin Mitchell said asked me a question, tried to incite me, I would just sit here like this. And yeah, he, yeah. <laughs> Mar Mitchell's like, let the record show that Mr. Arnold is is giving me the finger at Mar and Marty, who would not look at me, even though I think he knows what I was doing, went, that is an absolute lie. Right, right. Absolute falsehood. Yeah. Well, you know, when before video depositions, that was a very common thing. But what people would do is they do this one. Yeah. Or they'd go and they'd be like, we have the record reflect. He's like, I'm scratching my face. I I can't believe you would suggest that I'm you think I'm giving you the finger like like I would do something like this. I would never do that. I was there was something in my eye, you know, I, I, I I've had, though, but that can actually the funny thing is, is a video record is actually helpful sometimes because I had a client who was once being deposed about her like lifestyle, essentially, and they were trying to show that. She spent way too much money and that she should not get the award of alimony that we were trying to get for her. And it was not a video deposition. It was just a court reporter. And they said, well, do you put on your statement of net worth that you uh, entertain? Um, uh, what do you mean when you say you entertain? And she was like, oh, yeah, I throw lavish dinner parties where I just invite. It's like the great Gatsby in my home. You know, I'm and then she was like, no, I obviously I meant that occasionally we'll have people well, opposing counsel got the transfer. Sarcasm does not play well on paper. So he said, uh, the defendant herself acknowledged on line 26, quote, I throw lavish parties like the great Gatsby. You know, and, and it was like, I said to her, I was like, you don't be sarcastic in yeah. front of a court reporter. It's not going to play well for you. And thankfully, we were able to rehab it. But yeah, I mean, it's it, the, the stories of matrimonial depositions. Like I've had depositions where, 
I've been appointed by the court to be a referee because the lawyers, not the litigants, the lawyers were going so hard at each other that they almost came to blows. And the judge was like, all right, you're going to pay Sexton $500 an hour to sit there and go, all right, all right, all right, all right, enough with that. Move on to the next question. You know, I've been like a babysitter for $2,000 an hour lawyers. Hilarious. You're the Herb Dean of depositions. Really is. I'm like, guys, I want a, I want a good, clean deposition. All right. Touch, <laughs> touch ties. Yeah. Let's do that. Touch cuff links and let's do this guy. Let's get ready to depose. You know, for a long time, I would talk about uh, being in a high conflict divorce custody thing for six and a half years. Uh, and then I, then I realized I read psychology today. Monica said me, if only one person is doing it, it's not a, that's not what it is. It's a judicial abuse. I believe it's called legal abuse. Yeah. yeah. Are you familiar with yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm both familiar with the concept academically and I'm certainly familiar with it from a, from an intimate place of having sort of been in that position with clients and even been in the position where someone is trying to weaponize me in that way. And those are two really different situations. You know, when you're, it's challenging in either direction, because obviously when someone is trying to weaponize the judicial system, there, there are remedies, right? So there's gate, what's called a gatekeeper rule. So you can start to create circumstances where this person's not allowed to make a motion unless they have permission of the court. Um, sometimes you can impose, you know, counsel fees and sanctions for frivolous motion practice or having to reimburse the other party for their counsel fees. But that takes like a bold judiciary. It takes a judge with a good bullshit detector who goes, yeah, I'm not letting you do this. I'm not going to let you keep abusing this system. Part of the problem is in the space that, that I'm in, which is a high net worth divorce space, you know, I, not to quote Stalin in a, in a podcast, but, you know, the death of one is a tragedy and the death of a million is a statistic. And so if you have a client with $400 million, mm -hmm. you find them $1,000, like for frivolous motion practice, they'll pay $1,000 to fuck with their ex. Like they'll, they'll put that money down on the table, no problem. Like they'll, so they look at that and go like, oh, you, you're sanctioning me 500 bucks? No problem. Here, let me give you another five just in advance because I'm going to keep fucking with her, you know? So to really, you know, make them feel it, you got to do something more than that. But, but when you're representing somebody, that's the opposite side of that coin. When you're representing someone and you start to get the impression that this person just wants to use litigation to torture their ex, um, you know, A, aside from it being a very inefficient and expensive way to torture your ex, it, 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 it starts to skate the line as an officer of the court which as an attorney, you are an officer of the court. You're not supposed to suborn perjury. You're not supposed to make motions that you know are frivolous. Um, you know, so, so you do sort of get to a line where you say to someone, hey, look, this is getting to a, a borderline piece of things that you're, you're starting to, to make me run into my own professional obligations. Now, that's if you're at a certain like ethical level. I think there's a lot of lawyers out there that are just like, listen, for thousand dollars an hour, I'll mow your fucking lawn. I don't care. You know, like I'll do whatever you want because, you know, this is just the gig. Um, and you always have plausible deniability. You always have the ability to say, oh, well, I was trying to be of service to this person. And, and I believe that there was a potentially plausible claim there. Um, and, and like I said, we're the kind of profession divorce lawyers 
You know, civil lawyers, one of the ways that you prevent frivolous civil litigation is the fact that those lawyers only win, get money if they win, right? So they're not suing people for slip and falls that are totally frivolous because they're investing their time and money in the case, and they're only going to get paid if they win. So if you have a shitty case, they're, they're not going to do it. Divorce lawyer, I win. I'm the greatest lawyer in the world. I get paid. I lose. Oh, I can't believe the judge shit the bet on that one anyway, and I get paid. You know. And I, I remember once many years ago when I was married, we were watching my ex-wife and I were watching TV in the morning. It was on in the background. We were watching the weather. And it was saying, oh, it's going to be a beautiful day. And meanwhile, it was totally cloudy. It was obvious it was going to rain. And I said to her, like, man, you know, I, being a weatherman, what a great gig. Like, you could be completely wrong and talking out of your ass and you still get paid. Like, that's a great job. And she was like, babe, you, you have that job. Like, that's your current <laughs> job. Yeah. Well, I, 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 yeah. You know, the thing is, this is my theory. It helps if both people have good lawyers because good lawyers will go, okay, here's what, how much money is in the pot. Here's how long we'll go a little bit and then we're going to, we're going to get this thing settled. We're going to, it just doesn't do anyone any good. But if, uh, if one person has a lawyer that's just willing to, to, like you say, to file whatever, then it could go on. You know, I was joking with my literary agent once because we were talking about, you know, follow-up books that I could write. And I said, you know, I could write a great book called How to Torture Your Ex. Yeah. But it wouldn't be that yeah. I'm encouraging people to torture their exes. I don't need to do that. I don't have to go to bars and, like, find happy couples and go, like, hey, man, you could do better. You could do better. You got to get out of this. You know, yeah. like I, I, people are Call getting me. divorced no matter what. <laughs> so it's the same kind of thing in, insofar as people torture. They want there's an innate desire in some people to torture their ex. But my thing is, if you're going to torture your ex, hit the right target. Right. Like, don't stick your hand in hot coals to throw it at your ex. Like, you will burn the shit out of your hands for sure. And you may or may not hit them. And, and don't hurt your kids in the process. Because I understand you hate your ex, okay? Yeah. But do you hate your ex more than you love your kids? Because that's a special kind of crazy when you hate your ex more than you love your kids. But that's the thing that, that people grapple with because, look, the Joker always has an advantage over Batman because he doesn't care if he kills innocent bystanders. Right. The person who doesn't care about the kids has yeah. a significant tactical advantage in custody litigation, which is a terrible thing yeah. and is a thing that, that it's very hard to control for as a lawyer or even as a judge without the judge taking a bold stand and doing what you're exactly what you're saying, which is looking at the papers and going, not just what's in front of me now, what's the history of this case? Right. But the bad news is, it is hard enough to get a judge to look at the papers of what's in front of them right now, much less do the homework of what was in the past. Like, is it because they're overwhelmed with cases? Why is that? But it's, it's, you know, they would like to tell you that's what it is because I think that's a very convenient thing to say. Right, like the system's just overrun. Yeah, I get it. Like, you got one job. You got one job. That's your job. Like you have a job and that job is to make a decision. Like I'm, 
I'm not trying to disparage the judiciary, right. but there is a joke of, you know, what do you call a lawyer with a 70 IQ? Your honor, you know, because they're the best and brightest of this profession, the legal profession, are not going to sign up for a job where they make a tenth, if at best, of what they would make working as a private practice attorney. Like they do it because either A, they want the ego gratification of having people have to sit and stand and call them your honor and things like that. Yeah. Or they want the really simple, like the DMV hours where, you know, you get in at 930, you have a lunch break at 1230, you get back on at two, you're done at 430, you have this many weeks vacation, great health insurance, pension, or a very small percentage are like legitimately, I want to serve the interests of justice and I want to do this thing. And they're paid by the state, right? So that's kind of what you're yeah. saying, sort of a fixed yeah. income or hour. And they're not only paid by the state, like they are like a DMV employee, like they are a government employee and they are either elected or appointed, both of which are totally political, right? So a lot of it is, you know, you're involved in a particular party, Democrat or Republican, and you kind of go along as a committee person for a while, and then boom, they put you up for judge and you become a judge. It's not, oh, this person's such a brilliant judge and they've done such, or they were such a great lawyer. Now, look, I, I've been in front of some amazing judges, usually not ones that were lifers in the system. They were usually private practice attorneys or, or DAs or county attorneys. And then eventually, when they get a little bit older, they say, okay, now it's time to shift to public service and to become a judge. Or they are the kind of person that realizes, hey, you know, this is like I'm a legal scholar and I like the study of the law and I want to apply it. But I have to tell you, like a lot of people just it's government work and they do it. And, and so to put a lot of faith in the judiciary and to say any, any problem that the solution will be an attentive judge who, who's paying close attention, if, if the downside risk is like children are going to be harmed or someone's going to go to prison, that's a dangerous combo because I, I don't have that you. much faith. I don't have that much faith in the system. Do you break that down for your clients? Like, hey, if we go oh, to yeah. court, you're putting this in the hands of someone who may totally give a shit or may not give a shit. 100%. And I, I one of the things I tell clients, like, you know, in the courtroom at the negotiating table, like, I'll, I'm going to be whatever the situation dictates. If that's a wild, aggressive person, that's what I'll do. If that's a conciliatory, friendly thing, then that's what I'll do. But behind closed doors with a client, like, when it's attorney-client privilege, I, there's a couple things I say to every one of them. And the first one is, I would rather you put your kids through college than mine. So literally every minute we are talking, you are just setting money on fire. Yeah. And I would rather you give it to your ex, even though you might like me more than your ex right now, I would rather you give it to your ex than give it to me. So if we're talking about 10 grand, 20 grand to make this go away, give it to her or give it to him. Just be done because I, I appreciate that you want to give it to me, but I would rather you pay her than pay me. I'd rather you put your kids through college than mine. And the second thing I tell people is, you know, the, the, what you're paying for when you reach a set, like, first of all, I get paid for the fight and I love the fight. Like I love, I'm never afraid of court. I love court. I am way more comfortable in a courtroom than in my living room. I don't know what to do with myself in my living room, but in a courtroom, I know the rules and exactly what to do. But I tell clients from day one, like if we get in a courtroom, something's gone horribly wrong. 
Like mm-hmm. something's gone wrong and maybe may beyond your control, but something's gone horribly wrong. So we, if I tell you we should settle that the deal that's on the table is a good one, there's no incentive for me to tell you that because I'm, I get paid for the fight. Like if, if a case goes to trial, I make way more money. So if I'm saying to you, settle the case, Trust me when I say you probably should settle the case because if I'm the one who's going to get paid if you don't settle the case and you and I'm telling you to settle the case, that's just absolute craziness to not listen to that. I know you've said, you know, a good percentage of your divorces are, you know, kind of amicable and then you've got the yeah. really intense ones. Is there a theme right now um, that you're sensing in divorces yeah. because in California the divorce lawyers we've spoken to said there's a lot of um sorry I have a, a pug like hacking in the background okay themes of divorces in California what we've been hearing a lot lately is mental illness or mental health issues and addiction what's going mm. on in New York I mean I'll say two things both of those things for sure but but I'll parse it slightly differently. So one, lately, the conscious uncoupling's out the window. Like we had like a little while where everybody was very woo-woo and everybody was very like, everybody's publicist was issuing the same, like we, our journey as partners has ended and however we will continue to, we grew together and now we shall part, but we'll remain the fondest of friends as we join the journey. And I would look at it and be like, oh my God, they've, like this is so such bullshit but okay like that's the optics you're gonna do like i get it gwyneth and 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 uh uh you know what's his name from coldplay chris martin they did yeah. that bruce and demi did that like it's cool it's it's i think you're right like it's kind of a cool look it's kind of a cool look to do the like oh yeah we're good you know whatever hey listen we had our chapter we'll always have paris you know um but the truth is that's kind of over. Like, it seems like now it's like the summer of just throwing hands. Like it is just, now it's back to, which by the way, I actually think there's something very more honest about that. Like, I think there's something really honest about, because I think it's like Elizabeth Kubler-Ross's stages of death and dying. You know, there's like denial, bargaining, depression, grief, anger. And I think like, get to the anger so you can get through the anger. Like, you got to get to it, though, to get through it. And so we're seeing, I think we're seeing right now, there's a lot of, of like, intensity of emotion being permissible again. So people are being more honest about, like, yeah, my ex is a piece of shit, as opposed to feeling inclined to have to say, oh, our beautiful journey and blah, blah, blah. That's one. Two, everyone is now a psychologist. Everyone is now an expert in everything, thanks to the internet. Four out of five consults in my office. He's a narcissistic abuser. He's a narcissistic abuser. He gaslights, he gaslights. This is like the new two terms that everyone uses about everything. And by the way, there are such things as narcissistic abusive people. There are such things as people who gaslight people. But we've had definitional creep now so extreme that when you dig a little deeper and you say, because I've cross-examined psychiatrists on the topics of narcissistic personality disorder. And so when a client comes in and says, my, my husband is a narcissist, he has narcissistic personality disorder, he's a malignant narcissist. And I go, okay, well, you just, you said three completely different things. Like narcissism on its basic level means self-interest and self-focus. So 
if you look out for, if you put on your oxygen mask before putting on someone else's, you're showing a level of narcissism, but it's a healthy level of narcissism. Then there's, you know, personality disorder, not otherwise specified with narcissistic features. Then there's narcissistic personality disorder. Then there's malignant narcissism. But everyone who comes in goes, my husband's a malignant narcissist. And I'm like, really, is he's a serial killer? He, he, has, yeah. he has cheerleaders in the, in the floorboards? Is that chopped <laughs> up? Is that no? Okay, then he's not a malignant narcissist. You're saying he's a dick. That's okay. He could just be a dick. He doesn't have to be a malignant narcissist. Like, just like you don't have to say, well, he gaslights me. What do you mean he gaslights you? Well, he, yeah, he's in, he engages in classic gaslighting. I'm like, okay, what do you mean by that? Because yeah. if you mean he moves items in the house, and then when you say, hey, that used to not. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Not be there. He goes, that's not true. That was always there. That's been there forever. What are you talking about? Or he changes the clocks and then changes them back. Yes, then he's gaslighting you. If... When you say something that isn't true, he says that's not true. Or when you say something that's a matter of opinion, he disagrees with your opinion. That's not gaslighting. That's just you disagree with each other, right? So that's when, when people say like, oh, what's the trend that you're seeing? Yeah. The trend is not what's actually happening. The trend is, is what are the terms people are using for it? And that's usually what they see on Instagram or TikTok or whatever podcast they're listening to. I mean, that is like the main on the feet. Like I can't, I can't take another little highlighted caption that says when you're dealing with a, I just, I can't. <laughs> yeah, because it's just the buzzword now. It's become yeah. a buzzword that no one, and the yeah. same thing with substance use disorder. I think that recognizing that that substance use disorder is a spectrum. You know, alcohol use is a spectrum. So people come in and they say, my spouse is an alcoholic. I say, okay, what do you mean by that? What describe to me their drinking behaviors? Because that means more than just using the term alcoholic, because I don't, I don't know what that, does that mean they go to meetings? No, like what you mean is my, my, my spouse appears to have problematic use of alcohol or a problematic relationship with alcohol. And that's very, very common in divorce situations. It happens all the time. People who have significant substance use issues, you know, they, they have difficulty maintaining their relationship. If you have two people in a relationship, both with substance use disorder, or if you have people with poly substance abuse, you know, this is, yeah, this is a big deal. This happens. It affects relationships. It affects people's capacity to parent. These are real things. But to just come in 
and say substance use disorder, alcoholic. It, it's like it's this is what divorces very often turn into is just like a highly specialized and expensive name calling, you know, yeah. across the room. Yeah. I buy that. Uh, I am a alcoholic. And, and I say that because I get a, I go with other alcoholics and we have meetings. Drunks right. are the people right. who, who haven't gotten any meetings. Those are exactly, exactly. We have in, in New York, we have what's called attorneys for children, which is, you know, so the children don't have to come in themselves. They're sort of their voice in the courtroom. And I've been one of the things I, I've done for over 20 years in my career a small percentage of cases, because you don't get paid very well to do it. It's more of a public service. But I've been on the AFC panel for over 20 years. So I represent at any given time, I have four or five kids that I'm representing in their parents' custody case. And I jokingly tell my colleagues that I actually love representing kids in the divorce because I'm representing the most mature person in the transaction, even yes. if they're a three-year-old, you know. But, but yeah, I mean, they, kids come in sometimes to meet with you. And they're like, well, my dad was out with his paramour. And I'm like, okay, you're eight. You're eight. Like, there's no fucking way you know what the word paramour. Who, someone said that to I you. I don't know what the word para. What is a paramour? It means a person who uh, you're having an affair with. If you're married, it's the paramour. You're paramour. Okay. So that's you're par but it's a, a legal term that's in pleadings. Like and it's a term that people with their lawyer, you know, like their lawyer will say, Well, he was spending money on his paramour, so we have a claim for wasteful dissipation of marital assets, and we want some of that. He bought her a Tiffany bracelet, we want that money back. And so you talk about the paramour, and he spent money on his paramour, he went away with his paramour. It's like a nice way of saying his mistress or her, because there's no like male equivalent of mistress, like a mister. There's no mister. Mm -hmm. So you'd be like his mistress, so he's her paramour. This coach. person's paramour. It's usually a personal trainer, tennis a personal the trainer. It's not really a tennis Dance instructor is personal trainers. So I have to ask, what are some what are some reasons that a child would need a lawyer? Can you kind of just like yeah, yeah. It's it's very often when there are contested issues of fact involving the kids. So like if someone says, I'm always the one who helps the kid with the homework, and the other one says, no, I'm always the one that helps the kid with the homework. Well, who the fuck's going to be the witness? Right. Like people don't go like, hey, neighbors, come over. I'm going to be helping my kid with the homework. Could you watch this? Like same thing with domestic violence. Like people don't abuse their partner with company over. So the fact that you don't have witnesses to domestic violence does not prove that there wasn't domestic violence. In fact, it, it could actually prove the contrary, which is, you know, you were very careful about how you behave. So, you know, what happens with kids is sometimes the question of who is a primary caregiver, who did what with the kids before, because, of course, once the divorce actions commenced, everybody's father and mother of the year. Everyone is suddenly very interested in what's going on in the kids and wants to take them everywhere and wants to know why they're not the one who gets to take the kid to the dentist appointment. When a year before, they were like, fuck that, you take the kid to the dentist. Right. Yeah, so, you know, that's what happens. And so sometimes what the judge is, they want you to look into what's actually going on and dig a little deeper, but not in a way that's going to bring the kid to court. Sometimes the kids are so little that they need someone to substitute judgment on behalf of the kids. And, you know, that's those are the, like, textbook reasons why they bring in an AFC, what we call an AFC. But some states call it a guardian ad litem or a guardian ad litem for children. I think sometimes, though, when you do this job well as an AFC, judges bring you in because they want another lawyer in the room to wrangle in the two parents. Right. And so like yesterday, I spent all of Sunday writing up two final custody orders 
in cases I had settled where I was the AFC. So I got between the two lawyers and the two parties and did the, okay, wait, 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 stop. You want this. You want this. You're going to argue this. You're going to argue that. You've got this proof. I've got that. Here's what we're going to do. And I brokered the deal. And then, of course, as soon as we reach an agreement, they go, okay, Jim, well, you write it up. You write it up because I don't trust the other person to write it up. So I'm sitting there on a Sunday, you know, spending four hours writing up a custody stipulation for these two people. But, but it's a great role because you're like this voice right in the middle for the kids and, and I have to tell you, it, it's one of those things where when you meet some of these kids, kids are going through it. Their parents are going through a divorce. And I should say kids were going through And those through kids a have heard a lot of real shit that's not. They yet. have. And I have to tell you, what you just said is exactly how I approach it. Because like this nine-year-old will come in and sit in this chair across from me. And I think they expect me to do what everyone else is doing, which is to go, now, do you understand what I am? And do you understand your mom and your dad don't love each other in the way that married people are supposed to, but they both, and I look at them and I go, well, it sounds like things are crazy at home, huh? And they get like, just look at you like, huh? And then I go, did you just say that? I'm like, man, it sounds like it's frigging nuts in there. Like what kind of crazy shit's going on in your house? And you can see them, like, go, like, oh, this guy's going to tell me, like, I can talk to this, like, he just cursed. Like, I'm going to get, I can talk to him. Like, I can tell him what's going on. And I'll say, listen, let me tell you what my job is. My job is your mom and your dad right now, they're, like, going back and forth sometimes, and the judge is there to try to help them figure stuff out. But, you know, my job is to, like, talk to you and hear what's going on. And if you want me to not tell anybody what you said, we can do that. If you want me to tell what you've said, I can do that. And even if you want to tell me something, but then say, but don't tell anybody that, tell them that. So like, if you say, I really want to see my dad more, but I don't want anyone to know that I'm the one who said I want to see my dad more, I can go into court and say, he didn't want to say anything about anything, but I think he should see his dad more. And that way, you don't have to be the one who said it. So yeah. you can talk to me and, and these kids, like you see like them just like their shoulders drop and it's like, Oh, okay. Like I have somebody here who's on my side, you know? And so I think it's good to have kids have a lawyer. The hard part of it is alienation and negative gatekeeping. I have been put in the position as a children's attorney where, where the children are fully weaponized and I become an alienator's weapon Mm. and that's a really uncomfortable fit our system has to figure out how to deal with if we're going to have attorneys and advocates for children in the courtroom we got to figure out how to deal with the alienation and negative gatekeeping issue because otherwise we're giving abusers like alienators child I, i consider alienation a form of child abuse and we're giving child abusers like an extra bit of ammo and I think that's a really bad thing. Yeah, I agree with that. I've been reading a lot about uh, pathological alienation, which, you know, it, it is helpful when they, when you could see a list of things that over a period of years that you have oh, that, yeah. you could go, oh, all of those, all of those. Mm-hmm. Well, my family, their family, just pulling it, 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 all of it hurts the kids because they need to have, you know, a healthy adult can suck it up around their ex. And they can right. suck it up around their ex family. And they want the kids to have more loving uncles and aunts. And, and they're not like, 
you know, and if they don't want to destroy each other's career, you know, that, and that's a thing that I notice is because they have skin in the game, you know, especially yeah. when you're alimony, which could go up if, if, if the other person makes a bunch of money and, you know, it's all set. So what, what would, how would it help you to destroy the, the, the guy that, the bills at least on but that's pathological anger i mean pathological anger is is i think it gives people the permission of their own conscience you know and i i totally agree i mean i've i've said to clients like you're killing the goose that laid the golden egg like i've had clients call the irs on their past tax returns i'm like these are joint tax returns like yeah. you understand like if you accomplish what you're trying to accomplish you are going to owe a tax liability and the person from yeah. whom you're going to be receiving payments for the next 10 years is going to be in serious financial trouble. Like you're, you're setting fire to a boat you're on to try to hurt the other person on the boat that you're mad at. Like this is not a good strategy. It's in fact the worst possible strategy. But, you know, people have sometimes a level of, of, of absolutely pathological anger that no one is going to ever get them off of. have to fire people sometimes, fire clients that are just you know i rarely have had to i can be very persuasive with people and i i really because i i have to say something i think i think we can i'm not a religious man i i'm a lapsed catholic you know i i went to catholic school my whole life the only thing i have to show for it are like some catholic themed tattoos but other than that i, I i'm not sure what i believe in um but i but i I do say to people, like, there's seven deadly sins in, in the Bible, and all of them are normal human appetites taken too far. So, like, gluttony yeah. is a normal thing. I get hungry, but it's taken too far. You know, uh, uh, you know like, wrath is anger taken too far. Lust is human desire taken too far. So it's always a natural human desire taken too far. So I get being angry at your ex. I get feeling frustrated, rejected, hurt, you know, uh, critical of your co-parent, resentful of all the years that, that they didn't meet your needs and that they made you feel a, a way that, you know, like all the feelings of like, oh, I could have done all these other things and instead I was wasting this time with you or whatever, you know, or the impact of their parenting. But the solution to that, like, they don't fight fire with fire. They fight it with water. They never fight it with fire. Like, it's the dumbest thing in the world to fight it with. So I, I genuinely think, for me, I, I really believe that if you can shake the shit out of your client, they'll very often, like, the angels of their better nature will prevail. And, and you know, I, I give people credit where it's not due sometimes. Like, if I hear someone, you know saying something that I think is totally the wrong approach. I'll say, well, I, I hear you, but I know you're not the kind of person who's saying, and then I'll say an exaggerated version of what they just said or an amplified or rephrased version. And then they'll go, well, yeah, no, I'm not saying that. I'm like, okay, cool. Yeah, no, no, because I understand. Like, Or even if they say something and I really disagree, I'll say, you know, I hear what you're saying there, but I hear that as like you're frustrated. Like, I know what you mean. Like, but you don't really mean. You're like, not going to go kill your soon-to-be ex-husband. Right. Or even like when that, somebody right? comes, yeah, or even when someone comes in and says, like a lot of men come into my office and they say, I want 50-50. I want 50-50. I want 50-50 custody. And 
I, sometimes they actually mean that, right? But but nobody really looks at their parenting that way unless they're divorced. Like there's no intact family right. where the guy goes, I've only spent 48% of the time with the kids this week. Bill, come on, get your baseball glove. We got 2% we got to make up in the backyard. Like that never happens. Like, you don't. normal healthy people don't look at their time with their children that way. So when a guy says, I want 50-50 custody, what often I hear him saying is one of two things, one of which is a little nefarious and one of which is not. The one that's a little nefarious is they're saying, I don't want to pay child support. That I get. And that I get. I get that you wouldn't want to pay child support. I get it. But the other reason why people say I want 50-50 sometimes, especially men, is what they're saying is, look, I don't want to be like a playmate. I don't want to be a second-class parent. I don't want to be the guy who has dinner with the kids once a week and then hangs out with them on Saturday and Sunday every other weekend and doesn't do any of the heavy lifting of parenting and doesn't just isn't like credible. Like, I don't want to be the one who doesn't get to make, I don't make any decisions. I don't go to parent. Like, I don't want that. And a lot of times it's people who they had that father. They had the father who just like showed up every once in a while and was like, Hey, I bought you a tennis racket. And you're like, I don't play tennis. And they're like, well, if you take it up sometime, see ya, you know, and they don't want that. Like, they're like, no, I like, I want to be a dad. I want to be a good dad. And a lot of times they're like, listen, I haven't been a great dad because I hate coming home. Because when I come home, I have to deal with this person I'm really unhappy being married to. So I haven't been around. But it's not my kids. I actually really miss my kids. I'd love to hang out with my kids in a quiet, lovely space that's mine with a closed door where this person who fucking hates me isn't in the kitchen with us. And so divorce is an invitation for that person to be able to do that. And, and you know, sometimes when a guy says, I want 50-50, that's what they're saying. They're saying, I really want to be a full-on dad. I haven't gotten to do that. And I really want that. I really want to be a full-on dad. And by the way, sometimes when I represent a woman and she says, well, he wants 50-50. He wants all this time with the kids. He never hung out. He never spent time with the kids. I do everything. I went to every parent-teacher concert. I went to every doctor's appointment. I'll flip it on them. And I'll say, yeah, that's so unfair. You had to do all the heavy lifting. And all he's doing is the fun part. We got to make sure he has some, some of the tough stuff. We better make sure he's got to make them eat their fucking broccoli and brush their teeth and run out to Walgreens early in the morning because they forgot to get the paper that they need for this assignment. How dare he think you're going to be the only one to do that? Well, that's why we're going to make sure he has some time during the week. And all of a sudden they go from being like, oh, I only want him to have two hours every Wednesday and that's it to like, yeah, make him have an overnight during the week. He should have to do all that heavy lifting. And it's really just about how you frame it. You know, and I, I think that's part of good lawyering is like really looking at the situation and going, what are these people really saying and what do they really need? But uh, you may you triggered me, me to remember something that happened before when we still lived in the same house. And I remember I had a, a meeting to go to and I was getting the key, get ready. And she goes, well, I got a meeting, too. Uh, uh, you got to stay with the kids. I go, no, I got to be. And we literally both ran for our cars to see who get that. <laughs> The kids are in the house, by the way. Like, <laughs> but it's always, uh, you know, it's so much better since the last six years have been so much better for the kids because we don't, there's not all that mm-hmm. stuff going on. I also, number one, I want to thank you for what you do for those kids because they yeah. don't necessarily get the best attorneys, you know, always. Yeah. And to have, you know, four or five kids 
get a get a great attorney that really knows how to to soothe things and, and hear them. I think that's really uh, powerful. Now in California too, they have something called a PPC, which is a Parental Planning Coordinator. I think that's what it stands for. It's a retired judge. Are you familiar with this? Yeah, yeah, I am absolutely. And and it's it's there. Every state has some different technologies, and there's really no broad coordination where where everyone's looking at like what are they doing and how are they like and family law is so far behind like like there are very modern courts when it comes to substance use treatment like we have these drug treatment courts and we have you know courts that address um neglect cases that arise out of addiction that really came as a function of the opiate crisis where we had all these people that went from being like amazing parents to like having a shoulder surgery and getting hooked on oxycontin and six months later they're shooting heroin and we're looking at it going, okay, wait, these kids are going to get taken away and put into foster care, or we can create like a system of checks and balances where judges, lawyers, and social workers and addiction specialists are all working together to coordinate treatment, testing, you know, sober living, any of these things to, to get this, this family back on track. And California is, is ahead in some things, and it's stuck in the stone ages still in other things because it again at the end of the day a lot of it is like how do you how does a court system protect two people from harming their own children and it's it's really hard it's really really hard it's it's why i think lawyers have a tremendous responsibility to to not antagonize these situations and to speak honestly with their clients and from a place of like genuine focused compassion and empathy like i i'm i'm a very you know i'm very plain talking with my clients i'm i'm their advocate i'm, I'm always advocating for them but sometimes like you know they need me to say to them listen you're not looking at this clearly like we don't know who discovered water but it wasn't a fish like you are in this thing and you are not seeing what you're doing. Like you're not seeing it. I see it. My ex-wife and I had the friendliest divorce in history. Like we were college sweethearts. We split up. We were both unhappy. We were both sleeping with other people. And we were like, you know, what are we doing? Like, are, are you happy? You know, it's like, oh, really? You want to do this now? I'm like, I don't know. It's about as time as any. And we just said, all right, it's not going to work. Let's figure it out. And we've been, you know, that's 17 years ago and our sons are, they're 26 and 24. They're healthy. They're wonderful young men. One's a lawyer. You know, the other one just finished college. Like, they're great. They're great. And she's a, still family to me. She always will be. She's been remarried for 12 years to a great guy, a great, great guy who I welcomed into our family because, you know, he came to me when they first got together in a serious way. And he said, look, I just want you to know I'm never going to you know, I'm never going to harm your relationship with her. And I'm never going to harm your relationship with your kids. And I appreciate you letting me into your family. And I said to him, Hey, man, listen, I'm grateful for you. Like, because maybe when my kid is 16, and he's at a, he's at a party where his ride home is drunk, but he told his mom and I that he's in a sleepover at his friend's house. Maybe you're the adult he calls. Yes. and says, can you come pick me up? I don't want my mom and dad. I don't want to get in trouble. Maybe you, maybe you saved my kid's life because we let you in, you know? And to me, like, that paid off, that investment. It paid off tremendously. Part of the fun of it, too, is it gave me lots of great ways to torture my ex because I, even though I, I love her very much, 
I would every Christmas, I would go to their house for Christmas and I would buy him a slightly nicer present than the one I'd buy her. I so, love like, I would that. Buy, I would buy her a Yankee candle and him like an Apple TV. <laughs> and it, and I, I would take great joy in this because I would think she can't possibly complain about this. Because if she goes to her friends and she goes, yeah, he bought my ex, my new husband a much nicer present than he bought me. All of her friends would be like, what the fuck did your ex-husband bought your husband a present and you a present and you're complaining? So it was like the greatest gotcha. Um, and that's, if I had to write that book about how to torture your ex, that would be like in the first the chapter. Book. But you have to write the book. Oh my you God. have to write it. It'll be great for two different ways. People are like, oh, how do I torture? Or, or how am I being tortured and how, what can I do about that? Number two, your ex-wife sounds amazing. And if, if it doesn't awesome. work out with the other guy, I'm single. I just want to I'm put it out to you. Listen, yeah. I have an endless supply of nice divorcing people coming through here. I, I feel like I need to have like a matchmaking service as the ancillary. The it's like side, a second revenue cash stream. Cash only. Cash right. only. Backdoor. Right. Wait, but I love your bowling ball analogy, right? It's about if mm. I told if I told you you were going to leave yeah. my office right now and there was a 53% chance? So 56% so of marriages end in divorce. And, and what I always say to people is, if 56% of marriages end in divorce, what percentage of people are miserable and stay together either for the kids or because they don't want to give away half their shit or because they're religious? Another 10%? I think that would be very conservative. I think it's probably more like another 20%. Now we have a technology that fails 76% of the time. That, think about that. Like, to put it in perspective, Toyota in the 90s had 0.0005% of one model of its cars had a catastrophic brake failure that would happen. They recalled the entire line of vehicles in an abundance of caution. 76 if there's a 76 percent chance when you walk out of your house today you're gonna get hit in the head with a bowling ball you would either not go out or you would at a minimum wear a fucking helmet you would yeah. but you would probably not go out like it is a, it is an inherently negligent activity getting married it, without a prenup are you telling people these days whether it's advice uh, to friends or anyone listening to yeah. this podcast what are you suggesting as maybe a healthy alternative to getting married? I mean, are there, I've heard something recently from another lawyer about like cohabitation agreements. Like what do you suggest for the modern world instead yeah. of getting married? Yeah, I don't know that I'm suggesting people not get married, okay? Like my 26 year old's in a relationship, been with a girl for a while. They're starting to have the conversation about where's this going, you know? And I said to him very honestly, listen, marriage is like the lottery. You're probably not going to win. Like, you're probably not going to win. Like, so do not plan on winning. You're probably not going to win. But if you win, what you win is so good that it's worth buying a ticket. Like, like try. Like, try. But have a prenup. Like, have a prenup. There's no harm in having a prenup. I actually think having a prenup is one of the most like romantic things that you can do. I think having an honest conversation with a person who you purport to love about what do you expect from me and what do we owe each other is to me, that is a conversation worth having. Because I have to tell you something, I work very hard, I make good money. If I married a woman 
who does not make a lot of money. She's a yoga teacher, let's say. She doesn't make a lot of money, but she's doing something she loves and something that benefits the world. And to, okay, cool. Like, this is great. I'm bringing money to the table. You're bringing, you know, spirituality. You're bringing, you know, fitness. You're bringing, yeah. right, you're bringing like someone who's going to kind of take me down a little, slow me down a little bit. Okay. But if we split up, you're going to be in a bad position, right? Because I'm the, okay. So what do you think you'll need? What do you think you'll need? Because here's what I'll tell you. It ain't half my shit. That's crazy. That's crazy. That's that's ridiculous. Like, and it, and, I, and here's what I do know. I trust her now while she likes me, okay? Yeah. To make a better decision about what she would be entitled to than the legislature of my state. So I think, first of all, we don't have to look outside of marriage. It's a perfectly acceptable technology with a prenup. Throw a prenup in the mix. Makes it a lot better. But if you're not going to, just ask the question, why am I getting married? Like, that's the biggest thing. Lives should be done by design, not default. What is the problem to which marriage is a solution? Like, everything in my world, I should be able to answer that question. What is the problem to which this is a solution, this calculator? It's that I can't add for shit in my head. So I need something that lets me, you know, do that. Because most of the time you ask people that question and the answer they're going to give has fuck all to do with what marriage is. Like it has nothing to do. It'd be like saying, what's the problem to which this cup is a solution? And them saying penguins. Like, wait, what? Like it has nothing. What are you talking about? Like, I, well, loneliness. Wait, do you think you, you would get married and not be lonely anymore? Because I got to tell you, if you've ever been unhappily married, that's the loneliest thing in the world when you have the person sitting next to you and you feel completely fucking alone. That's a lonely you've never should experience. Well, and I feel like so many people say, oh, I want kids, but it's like, but you can have them now. You can have them in so many different ways. That, that, and that's my point is if you just, so my, my answer to the question of what should we do instead of getting married is, I don't even know that we have to go instead of getting married. All I want to know is what is the problem to which marriage is a solution for you? Because some people have a very satisfactory answer. Oh, I'm in a religion where we believe God talked to people and it was written down in a book and we're not allowed to fuck unless we get married. Okay, perfectly acceptable. If you accept those principles as true, And you say to me, if you want to fuck, you got to get married. Okay, I'm getting married because I'm I'm not going without having sex. So if that's the rule, I'm doing that. I I don't happen to believe that. So unless you're someone who believes that, I need a different answer from you. You know, and and again, most people, the fact that they've never even asked that question is so weird to me. Yeah, I'll I'll tell you, James. I learned a few things today. I love that. That you you feel uh, uh, family court need to catch up with drug courts. I'm very familiar with drug courts. I go ahead and testify for people. I see humanity from judges that I've never and law enforcement that you cannot believe. And I think it's such a system. I have been married. I have four ex-wives, no prenups. And now I'm 64 and a half, my 10-year-old and 7-year-old. We live in a tiny house. And, and I think that insecurity is why I didn't ask that question. I, I think the truth is we all, as divorced people, I think we're part of like this big fraternity or sorority, you know, 
And like any fraternity or sorority, it's got like the meatheads, you know, it's got the people that are like, my ex sucks. And then it's got like the kind of, you know, the people that are pretty chill, you know, and they're like, yeah, whatever. Like I'm in the frat, but it's not like my whole life, you know? Yeah. And, and I, I think it's a really, like, I have to tell you, I learned so much about myself by being married and I learned so much about myself by getting divorced. And, you know, you talk about your, you know, your smaller house and, Mm -hmm. You know, when I first got divorced, I, I gave her everything. I was, a, I was a lawyer, but I wasn't quite at the level I'm at. And I just said, okay, just let me keep my firm and you can have everything else. It was like Tina Turner. Let me have my name. You can have everything else. Like, I was like, you can have, just give me my law firm. You can have the house. You can have a whole 401k. Like, I'll fucking figure it out. I'll make all the money back. I'll bet on me, you know? And, and that's what we did. And I remember I had two grand to furnish my entire place. I rented... I didn't, couldn't even own a place. I rented a place right down the street from, from the house that I had given to her. And I, by the time I finished paying security deposit and everything else, I had two grand. I had two grand to furnish the whole place. And I went to Ikea and I, you know, you get a lot at Ikea for two grand. Like you can do pretty good. And none of it's like high, high quality. Right. And it you takes know, you 10 months never- to put it together. <laughs> and I put it all together myself. Like if I put another Floofendorgan together. I'm going to shoot myself in that. It was really something. But I remember I was standing in the Ikea and I went into the section where the couches are. And I thought, okay, I got to get a couch. And I remember thinking, this is the first time in my entire life that I have to answer the question, what couch do I want? Me. What do I want? Because it was always, oh, I saw this couch. Isn't it great? Oh, yeah, that's nice, babe. Yeah, we can, okay, let's get that couch, you know, or, oh, I found this couch. Or it was like, you know, when I was younger, it was like, hey, we found this couch by the side of the road. Cool, let's put it, let's drag it into the thing. Hopefully there's no blood on it. <laughs> but the first time I was like, I get to figure out, like, what couch would I want, you know? And really what I was learning was, hey, who am I? Mm-hmm. Like, who am I now? Like, like the barns burned down and now I can see the moon. Like, like everything's open now. Like the canvas is blank and I got to figure out what fucking couch I would want. And I remember like I, I found, you know, couch was like 300 bucks. And I remember that couch is like, it felt very emotional to me. Cause I was like, this is a couch. Like this is the first couch I ever picked for me. You know, like what couch do I want for me? And I have to tell you, when you have that, like that townhouse, I've, I've since moved on and, and thankfully I've kind of rebuilt and then some, but I still drive past that townhouse sometimes that I rented and I have the, fond- it was small and it was, I have the fondest memories and my sons are adults now, you know, they're 24 and 26 and they were five and seven when I got that place and they were, the- I was there for five, six years and every once in a while, we drive past that place together. Usually they're driving because they're adults now. And they'll go to me, they'll, they'll say to me, that was, that was such a great time. Remember that place? That place was so great. And I have to tell you, I feel the same way. Like I have such, I love that little townhouse. I was, because it was mine and it was theirs and it was where their childhood happened. And it was where I had the two of them and me and I felt like the richest man in the world because I just had, and I, I look at you, like I look at the video games happening in the background and the pictures. And all I can think is like, you know what, man, you are fucking 50 times better off You're than winning. a mansion yeah. right now 
yeah. where you were with somebody who fucking hates you and you can't stand them and you got your kids like hiding in their rooms to be away from it. You got your kids sitting behind you playing video games, happy and, and, and feeling love. And that to me, man, that you win. You win. Remember, you win. <laughs> well, thank you, James. This Love is a, it. more emotional than I thought. Uh, you're very thoughtful. You're also funny. Thanks. Take care. Be well. D I V O R C E P A I T Y. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.